can go John chapter 3. So give a little disclaimer if you're a note taker today. My, my points are really long sentence structure wise. So just be ready. So if you're a note taker, you need lots of room. Just letting you know. So we're going to go ahead and just get into the text this morning. John 3. I want to read everything. This is the last piece of, of the part of... So we've been looking at Nicodemus' conversation with Jesus. And so we're going to put all of it together. We're going to look at just the last three sentences uh, this morning. But as we, since we're finishing it up, let's put all of it together. So John chapter 3, verse 1. And we'll go all the way down to 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews... And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Nicodemus said to him, Now how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how, will you, how, how, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may, not, may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out. In God. Go go up to 17 again, just for a moment. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is an important point before we uh, begin to walk through the text. In our culture today, particularly in the West, there is a viewpoint that God is just angry all of the time and he's just waiting to attack people, get people, and it's just so far from the truth. This is Jesus speaking here as he's communicating with Nicodemus and he is communicating this reality. He did not come to bring condemnation. That is not the purpose. He didn't come to, to just point out how bad and evil we were even though that was the case. He came not to condemn. He came to save through himself that he would be the one that faith must be rested in for this salvation. 
So that's why 18 is important. So whoever believes in him is not condemned. If you don't believe, you are condemned. But he, he didn't come for that purpose to bring the condemnation. So whoever believes in him is not condemned. But 18 says, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so there's condemnation that comes to those who say, I'm not going to believe. I'm going to continue to reject Jesus. But there's an everlasting life that comes to those who do believe. And this is why 19 is so important, because we've got to connect it with 17 and 18. So let's just read the first part of 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. So let's walk through this. Here's the first thing this morning. We have five really important things and and four primary things connected to uh, the text. The first part of verse 19, this is the judgment, the light is coming to the world. Here it is. Jesus is the light who entered the world. And His presence, by being in the world, condemned those who were walking in darkness. So let's talk about this. So He says, this is the judgment. What judgment? we got to go and put it in context. you got to go back to 17 and 18. So Christ did not come to condemn the world, but through Him to rescue the world. That He would be the one. He would be the gateway. He would be the door. He would, he would be the bridge. Whatever gospel illustration you want to use, He would be that so that you and I could come to know Him and would not have to live under condemnation. But 18 tells us that whoever believes doesn't lie under condemnation, but if you reject his offer of salvation, then you will continue to be under that condemnation, which brings a judgment. So if you are wrong, you're wrong, and there's a judgment that comes to that in the little matters and the big matters. But in regard to sin, the only way to be rescued from that reality is belief in the Son of God. And so those who reject that remain under condemnation, which brings a judgment. And so Christ, by His presence here, different than the Old Testament, God came in a body, living, showing, revealing. He is the greatest revelation of God. There's not a greater one than Christ. And so here's Jesus. He's coming to the world to bring life, but there are those who don't believe, and so they remain in darkness and condemned to the darkness. Let me just share a few other verses in John's Gospel about this. This was a consistent theme of Jesus, this idea of light and darkness, and particularly light about Himself. So John 1, 4, we've already looked at it, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men, the light shines of the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1, 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Later, Jesus in John 8, we're going to, yeah, we're in John 8 this week, right? You're in John 8, yeah. Um, I should know that because we're doing the W4, but I just in that moment forgot. So John 8 this week, he's going to heal a man who's blind. He's living in darkness. And at the end of the narrative, Jesus is going to, or in the midst of that narrative, it says, and Jesus spoke to them in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but get good news, will have the light of life. So if you believe in me, you're not going to live in darkness, you will have light. Last week of Jesus' life, he brings this idea of light back into the narrative, and he says this in John 12, 
46. I have come into the world as light. So this is why I came. I came as light. I need to be seen as that. So that whoever believes in my name will not, watch this, remain in darkness, stay in darkness. So I've come as a light to offer life to everyone. If you get life in me, then you get light, because I'm light. And you will not stay and remain in darkness. But what does light mean in the Bible? Let me give you three things that the Bible speaks about in regard to light. And the first one is this, is light is a reference to the holiness and righteousness of God. That he is untainted, he is unstained by sin and darkness at all. There is no, as a matter of fact, there is no darkness in him at all. So Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.16, He has alone immortality, he dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and glory forever. And then later John writes these words in 1 John 1, five. This is the message we have heard from him. John says, we got this from Jesus. Jesus talked about this all the time. We got this message. And we proclaim it to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So when the Bible speaks about light, it's connected to the holiness of God. The Bible also, when it speaks about light, is connected to us. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill, it can't be hidden. It's seen. You ever been in a plane at nighttime and look out your window and lights everywhere? Even in the middle of nowhere, there's a light and you can see it from thousands of feet up. And so you are the light. You are able to be seen. So it's also pointing to the reality of who we become in the world, that we are the light of the world. And thirdly, the Bible speaks about light by spiritual illumination. That when we read a text, the Spirit um, lights up a text, He lights up truth and, and illumines that so that we're able to see what is there. Well, what about darkness? If we're talking about light and darkness here. What does darkness represent? Well, the first thing that we know about darkness is it is the domain of Satan. It is, it is where he operates. It's what he does. The fallen angels, um, a part of that, things that are evil. Secondly, when we talk about darkness, uh, we are talking about the reality of sin, that it brings separation, that it keeps us in this darkness. It keeps us separated from God. The third reality and definition biblically in regard to darkness is that it is the spiritual condition of the world. The world is dark. And it describes how the world thinks, how the world acts, how it um, makes laws, how it pronounces things, and all of that kind of stuff. Let me give you a few verses with that. So Colossians 1.13. He, God, delivered us from the domain of darkness and, and brought us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. So we were in darkness, salvation comes we are taken from the domain of darkness, living in darkness, separated from God, enemy of God, and we're brought into the kingdom of the Son. Paul, making a case before a leader in Acts chapter 26, says this, that, that Christ had come to open the eyes so that people may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan and turn to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So just a couple more things here. 
So Jesus is the light. He has come into the world. Those who choose to remain in darkness, they remain under the condemnation and the judgment of God because of their rejection of Christ. So when Christ came as the light of the world, two things, first off, were exposed. And the first one is this. Which of the two worlds humanity loved? And there were only two options. There weren't three options. There wasn't a neutral option. Uh, There wasn't a strong one, a negative one, and a middle ground. There were two options. You were either going to love the light or you were going to love the darkness. That was it. So as the light came, he differentiated with people and, and mankind was people would love the darkness or they would love the light. And so there was a which of the two would the world love? A second thing that, that was a reality when Christ came, not just the which would the world love, but why would the world love one? Why would the world love the light and why would the world love the darkness? And as with so many things in our lives, it comes down to what we love. There's a danger when we let our heart lead us and the mind doesn't engage and, and, and bring truth into things and, and caution us along the way and this confusion that is prevalent in our day and time today about what is truth, what is right, is God even real, um, is Jesus the only way or are there other ways to get to God. All of this confusion has come because darkness pervades mankind our love gets skewed our love understanding of love is misunderstood Um, but choosing to stay away bottom line and rejecting jesus means that people remain under this condemnation now satan cannot ever love he is the father of what lies if you are the father of lies and there is no truth in you You cannot offer love. You can't offer a perspective of things. Satan will sometimes utilize truth, but it's a disguise with it. Not to guide us to the truth, because that's the last thing that he wants us to have. And so so it's not surprising, in the letter to the Corinthian church, the second letter, that Paul writes these words. He says, And no wonder... For even Satan disguises himself as what? An angel of light. So he makes things look like it's illumined and it's real and it's good. And we want to draw, be drawn out of the darkness to that. But that is not the case. And so it is important before we move on to point two for me to establish this great reality. Jesus is the light who entered the world, the only light. They're not secondary light. He is the sole light. And His presence, by being the light, communicated to the world, you can come to me and know me, or you can remain under condemnation. Secondly, with the second part of verse 19. So, first part says, look with me there, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Here's the second part. And so how did the people respond to the coming? Here's what they did. Here's the why. The people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Here's the second point. Humanity or the people of the world love darkness rather than the light because what they do is grounded 
in what God calls deeds of evil. They are evil. So again, let's remind ourselves when it talks about darkness here and deeds that were evil, we're talking about sin, we're talking about error, we're talking about ignorance, we're talking about the domain of Satan, the world's ways, and its system. Something completely opposite of Jesus and the kingdom of God. So let me give us four things that are connected to this briefly of why people love the darkness because their deeds were evil in, 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 the, in the confronting nature of Jesus being the light. And the first one is simply this. Sin is connected, we need to see this, is connected to our nature, man's nature, our desires, and our affections, not just outward deeds. This is critical. Because if we just see what something, the effect of something and what it does, and we say, well, it's clear that's evil. But to not go deeper, then we miss the teaching of Christ. You remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus dealt with what? Action, or he, he, he dealt with, you have heard it said, this action is this. You have heard it said, this action. You have heard it said this, but I tell you, that if the inside reality, that's where everything begins, is on the inside. Now, when you look at this text here, and it says, The people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. In the Greek, this phrase, loved the darkness, in the Greek means this, humanity set their affections, their emotions, their love on the darkness. Now, I can't soften this at all this morning. That means this, that every person who is outside of Jesus, they are an enemy of God, under the judgment of God, and they are driven by, no matter how nice they are, here's the reality, the Bible's clear, and we can't, again, we cannot soften this reality. They are driven by their affections, their feelings, their emotions to please themselves, that their world would be ordered in which they were the central part of that. And so this word literally means humanity sets their affections on the darkness. So that's the first idea that is connected with this. People love the darkness. Secondly, the world doesn't see this, but we know it to be true. Sin is a much bigger issue than the world realizes and many people in the church realize. There's not a place in the Bible where the Bible affirms that we are good and we just need to try and get ourselves to be a bit better on our own. Our great need is not better education and more knowledge, better life skills to improve our flaws and then eventually we will get to a place where we are good enough. Our fundamental issue is a sin nature of loving sin over God's righteousness and the problem is so large that jesus had to come in the flesh to die and there needs to be something called being born again there needs to be a complete total transformation of who we were before christ so that we can become someone who is new thirdly in regard to people of the world um, love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil the third thing is this, is that people mainly reject Jesus, hear this, 
It may sound shocking in your ears a little bit if you're into um, apologetics and things of that nature. People mainly reject Jesus for the reason of loving darkness, not because they have intellectual reasons. So let me repeat that again. People mainly reject Jesus for the reason of loving darkness, not intellectual reasons. Jesus says here, because their works were evil. Now, that is not to say that people do not have intellectual um, things with the faith and they have some questions and things of that nature. There are struggles in that area. But unbelievers do not love the darkness over the light because they have researched it so thoroughly through and, and, and meticulously set it out and they've concluded that darkness makes more sense, that murder makes more sense than non-murder. That, that's, not a, that's, that's not because they've researched that. There is, there is, there is a reality of this. Jesus says this, unbelievers love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil, not because of intellectual issues, and they have them. That's not the root issue. They have them because they love darkness and they love sin. And so as Jesus came as the light, His presence and His word and His teaching immediately exposed the evil nature of the world and the deeds of the human race. And so therefore people were convicted, and they still are convicted before God's holiness and the whole human race lies in this reality now let's talk about apologetics just for a moment many of us have had spiritual conversations in our lifetime with people who are really smart I've had some with people that I will just say they're smarter than me intellectually they can boy they can think through stuff and 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 uh and uh I'm a I have a simple brain that God gave me I do think sometimes I have some pretty profound deep thoughts but for the most part i just i i'm just one of those that just i just trust what's come to us i trust it i believe it and and when it's complicated for me i i dig deeper and when i can't wrestle with it i just i just say i don't get it yet but i know god to be true and he will continue to help me understand this in the days ahead so some of us meet people very intellectual and they make a strong stand for evolution or they make a strong argument from an uh, atheistic point of view, whatever that view may be. So what do we do in those moments? Well, I'll say this. I think good, we should have good arguments and good reasons when people um, raise significant questions in regard to faith. I think we should have some good answers. But the truth is this. Because what I'm teaching this morning is not Doak's Conference. I'm telling you and I this morning what Jesus Christ himself told Nicodemus. So here's what Jesus told Nicodemus, that his issue was not an intellectual issue. The world's issue of rejecting Jesus is not an intellectual issue. Now, there are solid arguments for those who raise issues uh, in regard to scientific reasons as to why they don't want to believe and all of that kind of stuff. But fundamentally, their issue is not an intellectual one. The issue is, Jesus says, and again, I'm, I'm standing with him. He said the issue is, they have these objections, not because it's an intellectual one, it's because they love darkness. That's, that's, the, that's the reason, fundamentally. Because I have asked 
many, many people throughout my life, if I could give you some reasonable objections to why you won't believe, will you right now repent of your sin and believe? And just about 99% of the time, this is the response back. Well, I have other objections and I just don't want to believe. Happens all the time, does it not? You've had these conversations as well with people. Why? Because people love the darkness rather than the light. And many of the atheistic objections are mainly smoke screens and that people use to mask the reality that they love sin and they don't want to change and they want to continue to be in charge of their lives. Fourthly, under this point, God's holiness, therefore, is the sole standard to understand sin and evil. It's not mankind's perspective. Now, our culture today... Oh, Lord, pray for our country. This year's going to be exciting. 2020 presidential election. Everybody's going to remain calm for the rest of the year. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be so great. We have, we have lost it. And barring a powerful move of the Holy Spirit, I don't know if we ever return to what we once knew. I think only, only the move of God can return this nation back to a place spiritually where it needs to be. The last election cycle that came through the state of Virginia, and I'm not making political statements here, I'm just stating truth. This is what the church does, by the way. It states truth. So the Democratic Party in the state of Virginia ran on a platform during the last state elections that they were going to repeal every one of the enacted laws restricting access to abortion and things connected to abortion, and they ran on this platform. One of the things that they said they would do, and by the way, they were elected, and and they have the power of the Virginia State Senate. One of their first actions was this, that if a baby was aborted in an abortion clinic in a hospital and the baby survived the abortion and was alive on the table... They passed a law, and it was their agenda that the doctor could legally not be held liable to kill that child who's now outside of the womb so that the doctor could not be sued for that. I don't understand. There's a lot of of times with people who have objections about God, I can can go, okay, I, I see where you're coming through on that. I don't get abortion. Church, our government and those who are liberal and anti-God in our country, we are, we are for the enacting of laws to protect the exploitation of children from sexual predators, from uh, pornography. We have the reality that, that our country steps in government-wise in regard to the exploitation of women and rape and all kinds of things, I don't understand how we have gotten to a place where a human life in the womb has zero value at any time of the month. And we will see this year 
that the platform of one of the political parties is abortion at any month, at any month, not just the first trimester, second trimester, third trimester is going to be pushed, and you will hear that. Now, I say all of this for you and I to understand this reality. Our culture is trying to redefine what life is. When does life begin? But that's not the standard for the church. I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what the Supreme Court does. Our, our government and legislator, they are going to pass laws. They have passed laws. They have made decisions that do not line up with the Bible. And so therefore, what do we do? We stand against that. And we speak out against it. If you are in this room this morning and you are 47 years age and under, one-third, one-third of those age 47 and under have been lost by abortion. Now you just think about that for a moment. One-third of the people living in this country age 47 and below were killed. And we call it choice, and God calls it evil. So our standard is the light of Christ. Our standard is the biblical revelation of Christ in the Scripture and God's holiness and righteousness and His Word is our standard, not the culture's. I hope you're with me on that. And I think we are where we are today. I could hold a mirror in front of you and I could hold a mirror in front of me if this is our responsibility as a church to stand against this. And you and I are foolish if we think a secular government that's full of people who hate Jesus and love the darkness are going to be excited about passing laws toward righteousness. They are not. Now our founding fathers knew the Lord And that's why many of the initial laws of this country were the way they were. But as you know, those days are long gone. And so I I have to remind you and I, righteousness of God, righteousness of the truth is our standard. Thirdly, look at verse 20. Those who hate Jesus as the light of the world do not come to him for fear their works will be exposed. That's connected to verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. It's not that people just love their sin and do wicked things. Now Jesus takes it a bit further. The world, yes, loves their sin. Yes, the world does wicked things because they love their sin. But fundamentally, the world hates who? What, is this? what did Jesus say? They hate him. The world hates Jesus. In his last hours, in his last moments, with his closest followers in the upper room, he is hours away from this unveiling of the hatred that the world had for Jesus. This is what he said. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. This is John 15, 18. If you were... Of the world, the world would love you at its own. It would go, oh, I love you. You're great. 
but you're not of the world. And so it says, you, because, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you because I pulled you out of its system. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than its master. If they persecuted me, guess what they're going to do to you? They're going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will, they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of their sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. And if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. Now listen to this one. They hated me without cause. They wanted anything they could find to bring about a heart of hatred, to bring about real objections, when anything they could do it, and they just decided because darkness ruled the heart, I hate the Father, I hate the Son, I hate the Spirit. And, by the way, I hate those who are of Him, who are His people. They hate the one who, out of love, offered Himself on the cross so that every sinner might not perish, but have eternal life by believing in Jesus. And it is why, by the way, in our culture today, people hate strong biblical churches. And they flee from them or they leave them. They want to come here and come near to Jesus because he is the light. And the most natural thing that he does because of who he is as the light is to expose the reality about who they are. And so they embrace and willfully reject who he is and embrace the darkness. So let me give three brief things here that I think are important to see about the hatred toward Jesus. And the first one is this, is not all sin is done in secret. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Why? Because they don't want to be exposed. They don't want to be exposed. And so not all sin is done in secret. And, and do you not see that all around us today? There are marches today that, you know, 50 years ago, you couldn't get a permit to have a, a march that you can have now. And, and those marches are applauded and affirmed. But a month ago, the, the march to the right to life that we want children to be born, the media just ridicules those who stand against abortion and stand for children to be born. And so... We are living in a day and time where sin is no longer secret. It's just out there. It is out there, and it's very public. And we are often called intolerant, and I just laugh at that because the only thing that I see intolerant in this land is, is the world's perspective of us and our stand in regard to the truth. They are not ever tolerant of us. Everybody can have a crazy, crazy view, but we cannot have a view um, but we can, and we will, and we will stand there. So not all sin is, sin is done in secret. Secondly, there is never, ever neutrality toward Christ. He's either loved or he is hated. That's the reality. And again, I'm going to remind you, this is not my opinion. This is Jesus himself speaking here. And he says, here's the reason the world wants to reign, remain under condemnation. It loves their sin 
loves what they do because of that. But they also, they hate me because I'm calling them out of that reality. So there is no neutrality toward Jesus. You either love Jesus or you hate Jesus. We read this week in John chapter 7, 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Lastly, under this point here, why do they hate him? Fundamentally, they hate him because he exposes them. He exposes the world for who they are. This word expose, this last word of verse 20, is in the Greek is a uh, courtroom word. Now, I'm not a, anybody ever take debate? I took debate in college, and man, debate, that's a hard thing. Um, and I, I took debate, and I just got wiped. I, I've never won a debate. And so, um, but it's a picture of, we like courtroom dramas, it's a picture of a lawyer in a courtroom, and he is making his case. And it is clear to everybody in the room, to the jury and to everybody else, and to the one who's accused, it's clear to everybody and that prosecutor is right in every single point they are making. That's what it says here. So when it says here that the light has brought exposure to the world's sin and the world has hated that, it's because this. Because in the courtroom of the world, because of who Jesus is and because of his word, he is making the case of this reality. And it's this. The world is going the wrong direction. The world is wrong in every bit about who it is, and so therefore he makes his case, and the world hates that he's made the case. You see, the gospel makes all people's wickedness manifest and condemns them. Jesus uses this same word in John 16, 8, when he speaks of the Holy Spirit, who will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And every person who lives in darkness, lives this way. Listen to me. Every person who lives in darkness, Jesus is saying, they live this way as they choose to stay right where they are under His condemnation, even though He has come to offer salvation because of their great fear of what His light will bring to their lives. And it, and it brings a condemnation of the way in which they live. One other thing here, just for a moment. I think one of the most interesting ironies that you hear in the world today is you meet people who are so angry at God and they claim to be an atheist, but how can you be angry at someone who doesn't exist? And that reality points to confusion in the darkness because if He's not real, then then just let all us crazy people who think he is real do whatever we want to do and not be so angry about it. They hate someone that they say isn't real. And honestly, again, their anger proves what Jesus says here. They hated me without cause. They don't even know why, really. But Jesus tells us why. And there are a lot of reasons why people refuse to come. There are some intellectual reasons. And, and let me just talk about this just for um, a brief moment. There are all kinds of things out there trying to disprove Christianity, the Scripture. But I just, I'll just say this. We have thousands and thousands of years of historical 
um, written revelation, archaeology. One of the great things that's happening in the 21st century and toward the end of the 20th century is, is they are finding more and more things that are in the Bible in Israel. Where people say, well, that's not really true and that's not there. They are finding these things. They have found Hezekiah's tunnel. Um, they have found parts of the wall that Nehemiah built. It's been found in the last few months and uncovered. There's just more and more and more of this. So I'll say this, and I'll stand by it. For thousands and thousands of years, there's been attack on the truth of God and the nature of God, and it has stood the test of time. And it is the height of arrogance for a 15-year-old, 12-year-old, 40-year-old who lives a brief amount of time to come along and say, I figured this out and I can debunk Christianity and God. It's the height of arrogance. Because it's just not true. Some You have met those people, they're the smartest person in the room always, and, and they're not. Listen, if God is who the Scripture says He is, then He is way smarter than anybody. And He is more powerful than anybody. He has more wisdom than anybody. And so therefore, we trust in that. So there are people who have the arrogance of intellectual issues, but it's really not an intellectual issue. Jesus said it's a heart issue. That's why they don't. Secondly, there are those who reject and resist the call. Paul, book of Acts tells us, reasoned in the synagogues all the time. Some believed, some rejected. Then there's some who just love the world and they don't want to change. Remember the rich young ruler? Very highly moral man. But he loved money and he loved things. And he came to Jesus and he said, Teacher, I've kept all these things that you said. I've kept them since I was a youth, since I was a kid. Man, I, I, was, man, I, I got them down. You check them off. I'm, I'm more. I'm good. And the scripture says this. And Jesus, looking at him, Mark writes, loved him. And so Jesus loved him. But he knew the hurdle and hang up the man had. So Jesus offers the man a way, a path to get away from the reality of the hurdle keeping him. And it was his love of the world. And so it says this, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And then you're going to have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. And Mark writes these words. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions so some just see the truth jesus calls the truth and they just say no give me a toyota tundra give me a house in trinity falls give me the house and if you live there i'm not i own a tundra but anyway and people buy into this life is it and this life is not it Fourth reason people object is they just want to be their own God without God interfering. They don't want God ruining their good time. That was my hang-up, by the way, at 17. I thought if I became a believer, God was going to take sports away from me. How stupid. How stupid. You know what he wanted to do? He gifted me to be a great athlete. I don't look like it now, but at one time I was. And he wanted me to use athletics for his glory. Not take it away from me. And time... If you're an athlete, it's all taken away from you. 
You can't run fast anymore. You can't jump anymore. There's other issues with that. And ultimately, the reason people stay away is they don't want to be exposed in the true nature of who they are. They hate Jesus. Let's close with this. Luke 21. Christ followers live out the truth and practice coming to the light so their works will be seen as having God as their sole source. That's connected to 321. I told you these were going to be long. We'll leave it up there for you. So here's what Jesus says in 21. Last words that he says to Nicodemus. But, but, Nicodemus, that's the reality of those who reject. But for those who don't reject, those who believe, here's what marks those who believe. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. That's how they respond. They come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So look at the point again. Christ's followers live out the truth. They practice coming to Jesus as the light, so that what they do not doesn't point to themselves, but it points to God as He is working through me. I'm not doing this, but He's doing this. And I want Him to get the glory for what I do. And a life that is lived in the light of Christ will reveal that light to everyone around them. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14 and following, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it out in the house and it gives light to everyone. In the same way, live your life before others. Shine your light so that when they see the way you live, here's what they do. They give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's Matthew five, fourteen through 16. So this powerful salvation that has come to you and I who know Him gives us a new motivation that we want to live to honor Him in every kind of way. And so John, writing Jesus' words here, says there are two types of people that can be seen. Those who do not believe, they avoid the light because they hate it, because it brings exposure and ultimate judgment. And then there are those who believe and they gladly come to Him and they give Jesus the glory for all their good deeds Because He has caused them to be born again. So here's what should mark our lives. We should affirm that there is an absolute truth in the world. We should affirm it. So He says this. Jesus, again, these are His words, but whoever does what is true. So if you do what you think is true, you're believing that it's true and you do it. Whoever does what what is true. So there's an affirmation that there's an absolute truth that is connected to the Scripture and it is lived out. By the way, the Bible affirms that Jesus is the truth. Secondly, the Bible affirms that the truth is in Jesus. Ephesians 4.21, assuming that you've heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth, Paul writes, is in Jesus. And the truth is the Word of God. John 17, 17, Jesus praying in the upper room, sanctify them in the truth. And then he says, your word is truth. So here's what we practice, believers, in a world that hates Jesus, 
runs from the darkness, persecutes us. So much confusion in our world today toward us, but here's the reality. We, we don't worry about that. Here's what we do. Our response is we affirm that there is a biblical truth, and we're going to live it, we're going to proclaim it, and it's going to drive our lives. Secondly, under this last point, Christ followers gladly approach Jesus as the light. So whoever does what is true, there's an affirmation of an absolute truth. Here's what the truth people do. They come to the light. Now I lived in Houston in an apartment. It's wet there. Roaches. And you can fight it all you want to, but they are everywhere. You turn the light on at night, and boy, they hate that. They scurry. Hide me. Gotta hide. I gotta hide. Most crime takes place at night. Why? Because in the cover of darkness so that there cannot be anything seen. But Christians are different. We come and we just say, give me light, light, light. And they come with his heart that just says this, you expose in me whatever you want to expose because I'm a light lover. I love the light. Let the light come. John writes in 1 John 2.8, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light, it's already shining. We're not waiting. It is already shining. Thirdly, under this point, so there's an affirmation of, of truth. Secondly, There's a response because of this affirmation that we come to the light, who is Jesus, and it is the Word. And thirdly, Christ followers in loving willingness come to the light to grow in Jesus. And as they grow in Jesus and as they live out their faith, they give all glory to who He is as He is the one doing the work. And that's why Jesus says in these last words, so it, it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And I believe those of us who truly believe in the truth of the Scripture are passionate to practice the reading of God's Word. For in that, there is a life of worship and there is a desire that the truth of God's Word would shine over us in every way, every thought, every intention now this week just give a confession to you about my life i realized on tuesday i am tired of writing sermons not lifelong but like this week so i went into mark's office and said man i need a break can you preach next sunday so if you're not here next sunday he's going to take it personally okay so here, listen. So I went and said, "Man, I need a break." And Nick, this week, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna try and get ahead. And I can't wait for next Sunday because I don't get to do what you do. I don't get to sit in a room and and hear the word. And I can't wait to take notes on what God's gonna show Mark because I want next Sunday morning when I sit in this room, I want the light of the word to fall upon me and to shine and to reveal as there some direction and inclination of my heart that's dark and the light of the word needs to shine on it. 
This is why you shouldn't miss Sunday morning. It's one of those reminders. It's one of those reminders of how much we need the light. And it reminds us of our desperation for him. And I know this to be true. Weak Christians and false believers seek churches who do not proclaim the word for all it's worth to expose sin so that true freedom may be known. They don't want to live openly in the light of God's presence, and so there is a pursuit of places where that is not the case. All right, so I'm going to close with this. So what do we do? What do we do with this? And again, these are Jesus' words here today. This is the close of a communication about salvation. And that once you, and he closes this, once you come to know him, here's what it looks like, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, by the way, you are in the dark. Yes, you're obeying the commandments, but in them, you're not going to, through obeying the commandments, you're not going to get eternal life. You've got to be born again. There's got to be this radical change. And once this change comes, you're going to come to the light. You're going you're to affirm biblical truth. You're going to come to the light as a life of worship. And then as you live this life out, you're going to say, I didn't do this, he did this. And I love what John 3 does next two weeks from today when I'm back in here again. He goes to John the Baptist who only lived his life to point to Jesus, not to point to himself. He's going to give a living example of 21 with John the Baptist who, watch this, John's been baptizing, thousands have been coming, Jesus Jesus isn't, but the disciples are baptizing, baptizing. There we go. Guess what happened? More people were going to the disciples for baptism now. And John's disciples came and said, "Uh, we have a problem. More people are going to him. And John said, yay, that's great. Because I must decrease and he has to increase. So how do we respond to this this morning? Well, here's how I think we respond to it. We turn up the light. We turn up the light. We make the light of Jesus the priority in all ways. So how do you do that? Gosh, can y'all realize this? This church is 11 and a half years old now. And I don't know how much longer we get to do this. You know, churches don't all make it. and Some of them die and they don't make it. I, I, you know, none of us knows the future. But one thing I think I know will not be true of us is that eventually down the road we're going to turn apostate. We're just going to turn away from this because I, I see too many people out here and you would never allow that. And, and, and so that's not going to be our reality. But what's the great danger for LifePoint in the future? It's not that we would embrace darkness, but it's that we would embrace shade. We would allow the worldly things to come in to block the light so that we feel more comfortable about stuff instead of letting the light just shine. And I think the worst thing a church could ever do is soften what the Scripture says. I think it's unloving to do that. And I hope you would never want me to do that. I hope that you would say, 
man, I messed up and sometimes I messed up, but what I need more than anything is the light to shine. And when it shines and it points out what's wrong, it invades the darkness and the darkness as to what? The darkness in him was life and that life was the light of men. And the darkness has not overcome it. And so I, you and I need the light. So the greatest thing a church can do is to proclaim the light. It's, it's the most loving thing and we can't do anything else. The greatest priority of the church is to proclaim the truth of the life of Jesus and it brings light. And boy, you know where somebody is when you bring up a spiritual conversation about Jesus. Do they run back to the dark in their conversation or do they step toward the light? And if they're stepping toward the light, then it kind of indicates this person is open to the truth or this person is a believer. And so the light of Christ's glory and righteousness must be seen because if it's not seen, then sin's not exposed. And if sin's not exposed, there is no salvation. People have got to see sin. And so Paul wrote this, Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of who? Christ, God. So the greatest thing that we can do on Sunday morning is, for me, and I don't apologize for this, sometimes I feel bad about it, I'm sorry that you've had to hear a 50-minute sermon this morning. You poor people. How terrible your life is. I don't want to apologize for that. Because you know what we're about to go into, and I don't know how many hours are in a week, we're about to go into a world that's just going to shout everything anti what we've proclaimed here today. And if we can't handle 50 minutes, we got problems. So I'm going to proclaim it because I want us to move from confusion to confession. And that's what happened with Nicodemus. I don't know if he came to faith that night, but I know he eventually did. Later on, he defends Jesus. And on the day of the crucifixion, who's taken the body down from the cross? Nicodemus identifying his life with the crucified Lord on Calvary. I think all I've said, all I need to say this morning. All right, let's pray.